The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we're coming to you from the beautiful, sun-splashed studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And a reminder that you can reach this the show on uh, Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com or like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And it also a reminder that these shows are podcasted and archived on my website, www.JewishSacredAging.com. We're going to be right back with our first segment guest, Donna Butts, the Executive Director of Generations United out of Washington, right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approach to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we are pleased to welcome back to the microphone here and uh, Donna Butts, the Executive Director of Generations United. Donna, I hope you're there. I am. I Hi. am. It's great to be with you again. Good morning. How are you? How, you're in Washington, right? Yes, I'm in Washington where the sun has finally come out. Yes, yes. We have this same glowing thing in the sky here, too. People are wandering around knowing, trying to figure out what it is and waiting for the rain. But anyway, it's nice to speak with you. Uh, welcome back. I know you were with us about a year ago talking about Generations United. So let's just, just, just for a little bit of review, Donna, um, first of all, again, thank you for being with us. Give us an update as to what Generations United is and why, why, why is it in existence? Well, Richard, thank you. It's great to be back with you again. I, I enjoyed our conversation last year. Generations United, we just celebrated our 30th anniversary, and we represent many of the children, youth, and aging organizations in the country. And our goal is to connect generations to help strengthen our communities and to help develop healthy communities that engage people at all ages. So we promote the programs and policies that make that possible. So uh, then you uh, could it be a, a, am I correct in saying you're not a big fan of um, siloed communities and um, separating generations? No, we're not big fans of, of segregating people by age. We think that that's really detrimental to, to our country, and especially when you think about the changing demographics, because our country is really, really age advantage because we're so fortunate to have this healthy, growing, older population. But we also have a younger population that's the same size as our older population, but they don't look like each other. <laughs> and, older, and so if we are segregating them and separating them, there's really not a whole lot of reason for either of the generations to think or care about investing in the other generation. So we feel like we really need to weave that social fabric and that social contact in our communities and our neighborhoods. Yeah, the, the bookend generations now, uh, the baby boom generation now, 
out being outflanked. I, I, they're the millennials, uh, the 18 to 30 year olds now, which has surpassed evidently, according to the Census Bureau, uh, the baby boomers. But these are the two, these are the two bookend generations, and um, and as you said, very, 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 very different. So, well, and and, and you're really right about calling them the bookend generations too, because we really look at it as they are our bookend generations that really hold our civil society together. Uh, they're both very, very important, and uh, and it's important that we we are working to connect them. And many of the uh, several of the Kendalls around the country are are wonderful communities that really do reach out and make sure that they engage other generations. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how you, as Generations United, try to unite these these two bookend generations who do come from very, very different experiences. Actually, we're beginning to see this in the election campaign, and if you could call it that with with very very different um you know modalities the points of view histories baggage cultural baggage so 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 walk us through some of the things that um your organization is beginning to develop to try to um, foster this intergenerational understanding one of the things that we do that for the last five years we've been able to give out best intergenerational community awards to communities that are really intentionally working to engage their oldest and their and their youngest uh, citizens. And so it could be a community where they have an intergenerational advisory council that just advises on what the different generations need or they're they're focused on making sure that community events and activities are for all generations. They may have intentional intergenerational dialogues where they in- invite people again at all at all ages to have a conversation about what's needed in their community what would make it what would, what would help them feel connected feel engaged and help them contribute to the strength of their community uh, sometimes they have a facility a center that they've created for example uh, in Maricopa County Arizona they no longer build just separate senior centers and teen centers and rec centers they only build multi-generational centers so the resources are used to connect generations instead of separate them, and they save dollars while making sense. So we have a lot of materials available on our website, how to develop these kind of programs, what best practices are. We elevate the excellent work that's underway around the country, and we help connect people in communities that are working in this way so they don't feel like they're alone and so they can learn from each other. So Donna, what's the website? The website is uh, its very easy. It's just www.gu.org, G-U for generationsunited.org. So g- give me an example. Some, you mentioned Maricopa County, which I think is Phoenix. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that, that you give out these awards for, for communities that are really pioneering intergenerational work. Um, walk me through one or two others. Sure. One that I think is really interesting is Georgetown, Texas. And Georgetown is in a part of Texas where they're not known for supporting school levies and investments in the local schools. And what Georgetown did intentionally several years ago is they they realized they had a very large growing Sun City population. 
And so the city and the school district started to reach out and involve the people in Sun City, the citizens of Sun City, in the schools and in the activities. So they would bus older adults to the games. They would do uh, spelling bees, intergenerational spelling bees. Young people would go into the community and help with beautification projects or chores. They just became intertwined. And so a few years ago when they, their levy was up, uh, Sun City voted overwhelmingly to support it because it was their school and their kids. So they, I think, were really innovative in terms of looking at how they used their space, how they intentionally made sure that they built those bridges. San Diego County is another wonderful example. They actually, over the years, have done uh, so much intergenerational programming throughout the county and have such a commitment to it that they now have five intergenerational coordinators on their county staff that each focus in a different region of the county. And the most recent one is focused on in their child welfare department and focusing on foster youth and how to connect older adults to foster youth. So they have really, really committed themselves to using that intergenerational lens when they look at opportunities and issues. Donna, let me ask you, you know, you, you have a sense of the, the nation uh, on this and some of the f- ebbs and flows when it comes to this. Why, why do we still attempt to segregate the generations? Uh, it's, it seems to be, you know, you, you, we look at the paper, there's this explosion of the, you know, 55 and over communities that are restricted. And what's, we still haven't, as a nation, bought into the fact of, uh, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, of this mixture of generations and the ability of generations to, to, to learn from each other, old and young, young and old and middle. Is that, do you see this changing or do, is this still an uphill battle for Generations United? I think it's still a little bit of an uphill battle, but I do see it changing. It's interesting because when you think about when the first Sun City was developed back in the 60s, it was an idea that was sold to this new older adult population, one that had worked really hard, that now is the time for them to play and to recreate and to, to throw all their cares away and be, be young again or act young again. And a lot of people moved into those sun cities. Uh, and what I, what I say, what happens in those communities is generally what you find is the conversation switches to three Ps, pain, pills, and passing. What hurts, who died, and what medication you're on. Because they don't have that broader conversation with other generations. And so people are realizing that it's not healthy. And also, um, as boomers are aging, they look and see some of those communities and they go, I don't want to live there. That's not what I want. I want to stay in an age-advantaged community. I I want to be able to be around young people when I want to be around young people. I want to be near my own grandchildren or my grandfriends. So I think that we are starting to see a change. Even developers are starting to think about how do we build communities so that they're vibrant for all people at every age and every stage of life. But it's still going to take a little bit of work. And one thing that I say, which is not very popular, is that I really don't believe that we should um, we should have those age-segregated communities because it's been proven to be healthier and better for us when we are in contact and connected to other generations. Yeah. The, the, talk to me a little bit, because you, you obviously are involved with this, I, I would assume, about the, the growing trend, especially with boomers, I think, to, to really want to give back to the, to the society and volunteer and, not necess- and, and really seek to be volu- into, for volunteering activities in, outside of our own generation. Are you involved in that at all? 
Yes, Richard, and you're really right because what's happening with this new generation of older adults is that they want to stay connected. They want to have purpose. They want to. They still feel like they have so many years and so much energy and time to contribute. And I think it's really, really critical. What hasn't kept up are the systems or the ways that older adults can connect as easily. Um, sometimes I hear from people that get frustrated because they'll try to reach out to a um, either through their their synagogue, their church, or or a nonprofit organization, and they'll try to see what kind of volunteer work they can do, and they don't find the right opportunities. So a lot of older adults, I think, are are um, beginning to start to create those kind of opportunities, uh, and many of the organizations are starting to really look at how they can engage older adults. I know here at Generations United, we've started something called a senior intern program, and we actively look for, recruit, and accept older adults who want to come in and help work um, on programs that fur- further our mission. And that that's just in D.C., or is that national? Well, it's our, our office is in D.C., but we have members and a network around the country. And again, on the website, there's a program directory. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody's curious about what there might what might be underway in their community, they can look that up. You know that you just let me, let's clarify this. You're based in Washington D.C. Your the organization does it have outreach people working around the country, or is everything focused through the office in D.C. and then? There's the website provides resources and and tips as to places locally. Yes, that that would be correct because we're in D.C. and we have resources. We have members, um, and we have a network around the country of of people who have intergenerational programs or are involved in intergenerational programs. So when you say and members, how do you become a member of Generations United? Uh, you join. Uh, uh, Kendall, for example, is a member as well as. Some of the groups you may be familiar with, um, like um, the uh, Children's Defense Fund and Zero to Three, which works with babies. And okay, so it's money. organizations rather than individuals. Yeah, we do have individual supporters, but our members are mostly organizations. So you alluded to something before. I just want to, because this is a, an interest, obviously, because I'm clergy, but what the role of of churches synagogues mosques religious organizations to talk up to do intergenerational work and to provide opportunities how do you work with those organizations well again what we have are resources so that say if you were if your synagogue wanted to start a a, a friendly visitor program we have um sub, uh, uh, how-to guides and support materials on how to organize and how to start a really good intergenerational program, the kinds of things that are needed. And oftentimes, I think um, DeRote in New York is just an absolutely fabulous example of a a faith-based program that is involved in primarily serving um, older, isolated seniors. And they have, they've developed programs so that families can volunteer and deliver meals or they can, um, they can provide classes over the phone for older adults, things like that. Mm-hmm. But they have really um, made sure that they do their outreach in their community. Um, and uh, so I think there's some, there's some wonderful examples like that. All right, thank the you. other thing that we, yeah the only the other thing I would mention is we do do a, an international biennial conference. So every two years we do a conference 
that is the the only time really when people who are interested in intergenerational work can come together and learn from each other and share what it is that they're doing in their community. So it's a wonderful opportunity to to really um, hatch an idea or to strengthen an idea or a program. And that's coming up uh, in June of 2017 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh, that's good to know because those types of conferences really, that's an incubator for a lot of ideas sometimes. And just... They're networking alone so people don't understand. They can't understand they're not doing something alone, that there's other people who are doing it. And that's one of the values of, of these types of, organ- of, of, of meetings. So thank you. Donna Butts, the executive director of Generations United, and we'll be back with Donna uh, right after this message from our very good friends down the street here at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, uh, coming to you on WWDBAM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And we're with Donna Butts, the Executive Director of Generations United, based in Washington, D.C. And Donna, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the involvement, because you alluded to it in our first before we had the break of grandparents. So um, many of my friends now, boomers, are members, uh, card-carrying members of the Grandparent Club, and uh, knowing full well that we have obviously the greatest grandchildren ever made. And, of course. Um, of course, and I can prove it. The uh, <laughs> So <laughs> my understanding is that you, you really uh, do some very, very powerful and interesting work with grandparents in, in, in the intergenerational work. Walk us through some of the stuff. There's a couple of, of areas that we focus on when it comes to grandparents. One has to do with grandparents raising grandchildren, and we have our National Center on Grand Families that really uh, works to help change policies and programs so that they're supporting grandparents who have stepped up and taken on that the role that they never, ever thought that they would need to take on. But then there's also grandparents. When I think about grandparents, I think about an entire continuum. There are grandparents who have a little bit of involvement with their grandchildren. Some of them provide child care. Some provide after-school or before-school chauffeur service. Some provide some financial support, uh, some, and some are raising them. But for most grandparents, there's about 70 million grandparents now, uh, they get to do exactly what you were talking about, which is be just totally, totally in love unconditionally with their grandchildren. And that is so wonderful and such a blessing for those children to have that other generation, that somebody who cares so much about them. So one of the things that we try to do to elevate and and uh, and really honor that role is is uh, we celebrate Grandparents Day every year, which is the first Sunday after Labor Day, and we have a website with activity guides and um, suggestions for people that either for a grandchild that wants to do something for the grandparents or a grandparent that wants to do something for a grandchild or they want to do something together, and that website is 
www.grandparentsday.org. The um, you know, it just occurred to me while you're, you're talking, given the longevity revolution that we're now underway, have you started to deal with great grandparents and the, and this really this uh, I see more of them. Uh, you know, it just occurred to me. This is another generation which can add to this. If if a grandchild is blessed with the ability not only to have their parents and grandparents, but great grandparents, what a gift that must be. Oh, you're so right. Because what's happened is that people now are more likely to know have known their grandparents or, to, or their great grandparents, or to to, to the, that they're still living. But the same with grand aunts and great aunts um, and uncles. The, the whole family structure is really expanding. Uh, and I think that can just bode so well for children because we know that parents, as hard as they work and as hard as they try, having that other set of hands, that other caring adult in a, in a child's life can make all the difference. What's the greatest gift a grandparent can give a grandchild? Roots. Ah, what do you mean? History. A sense of themselves, a sense of their history, who they are, um, because that's one thing that we see when when a generation has been severed from another generation is that I think Maya Angelou actually said it so well in a quote that I love of hers, which says, today people are so disconnected that they feel they're blades of grass, but when they know their grandparents and great-grandparents were who they were, they become trees, they have roots, they can no longer be mowed down. And I think that is so true when we think about children, when they have that sense of where they came from, how they connect throughout time. It's a, a, an incredible gift. Do you see a change? Because we're reading all these changes now with the baby boomer grandparents, um, given the fact that if, if they're lucky enough to have the economic ability to do this, but very, very much engaged in their grandchildren, taking them on adventure trips, really engage with them, and not only taking care of them sometimes, but being very much more active, uh, partly because I think sometimes the economy and their parents, mom and dad have to work so much, and if you're lucky enough to be around your grandchildren, you, you're there and provide that opportunity for support and, and, uncon- and unconditional love. But do you see a, a shift in the way grandparents are behaving? Oh, I do. I think that people are uh, are are realizing um, it, it changes a life when you become a grandparent, and um, and they the the connections that can occur are amazing. When you talk about the trips, I I was smiling because I remember probably 15 years ago or so meeting with the folks at Road Scholar, what was Elder Hospital, Elder Hospital and. Um, they had one grandparent grandchild trip in their in their their catalog of trips you could take today it's the largest portfolio they have really our grandparent grandchild trips yes yes so you're you're really right i mean the things are changing and the and the role that grandparents are playing has really changed um before we start running out of time talk to me about cuz in in on your website uh on generations united you talk a little bit about public policy with a statement that public policy should meet the needs of all generations. Does Generations United get involved politically, lobbying, legislation to really talk about um, family leave issues or support for caregiving legislation, which really does impact all generations? Uh, is, is, do you have a, that in 
part of your portfolio, or is it just you know uh, letting information out? No, that that is part of our portfolio. Is that we do we are active on um, on Capitol Hill, and we try to make sure that we elevate that unique intergenerational intersection when people are thinking about public policy. And we do a lot to um, elevate the issues, of, especially around caregiving and grandparents raising grandchildren. Um, so that is one of our roles. Another is that we try to help people have kind of difficult conversations. And so one of our more recent um, efforts has to do about valuing vaccinations across generations. And we've created a discussion guide uh, as well as some social media tools and a, a video of one of our 89-year-old friends talking about the importance of discussing vaccinations with grandchildren. Really? Because people don't realize, they, they, people think about that as sort of a specific life, like an infant needs to be, get vaccinated or somebody needs it at different times. They don't think about the lifespan aspect and the fact that there are um, are there are three illnesses that can be prevented by vaccine that are passed between grandparents and grandchildren. Um, so it's uh, it's really important to raise that kind of public awareness and understand the the connection and have those kind of difficult discussions across generations. Wow. Well, the website again, Donna. Before we start running out of time, the website again. If people want to touch base with you, is what uh, for Generations United? It's gu dot org. www.gu.org, dot org. Right. Right. And for Grandparents Day, it's www.grandparentsday.org. And to learn more about our vaccine campaign, it's www.bandageofhonor.org. Wow. Bandage of Honor. The, the, just, just give me a, a summary of where you see the future now of Generations United going. I mean, you're, you're involved with the public policy issue. You're involved with grandparents. You're involved with the the awards for uh, community awards for best practices for intergenerational programming looking forward uh, in these next couple of years um, where do you want to go where do you want to have the next generation of generations united focus I i would really like to see more intergenerational dialogues around the country i think that there's that need especially now in such a a difficult political climate for people to come together and look across our differences uh, and one of those big ones can be and sometimes is age so I think intergenerational dialogues and communities are one thing that we're going to be really uh, elevating as well as intergenerational use of space I think that we've done a disservice in our communities by building separate siloed facilities and we need to create spaces where generations can come together more naturally again Wow. Donna Butts, the Executive Director of Generations United, thank you very, very much uh, for your return visit here. Lots of good information. Once again, real fast, Donna, the website. GU.org, www.gu.org. And thank you so much for the opportunity to be back with you. Oh, no, this is, this is uh, the, the de- anything to de-silo uh, generations. I really, I really admire what you're doing because I, I see it in my own work and um, – the benefit of just mixing generations and getting to know each other and learning from each other, um, if nothing else, because the, the little ones actually know how to work computers. and <laughs> so, <laughs> We all have something to learn from each other. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. That's, uh, my, that's, <laughs> but in all seriousness, thank you very much, and I appreciate it. Continued good luck, and um, take care of yourself. Good luck with everybody. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
A word from a couple of friends of ours uh, here at Boomer Generation Radio. You know, we, we talk a lot about the weather, especially these last couple of weeks here in Philly. And we talk a lot about sports, uh, and, and me especially and my friends. Too few of us really, however, talk about things that matter the most, the comfort, support, and dignity we choose if we were not able to communicate uh, our most sincere and honest wishes. Think about it. If surgery, accident, or serious illness prevented you from speaking for yourself, would your loved ones know your wishes and would you know theirs? So we invite you to contact Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice, which says it is now the time to think, to talk, and to act. Think about what you want, talk with those who matter to you, and act by writing it down. We encourage you to Contact Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice for further information on their Timely Conversations program. You can visit them at SamaritanNJ.org. That's SamaritanNJ.org slash conversations. And we invite you to give them a call as well. Uh, that's at 800-229-8183. That's 800-229-8183. And speaking of uh, timely conversations and talking about things that matter, we want to remind you of our very good friends at the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott, who provides concierge financial consulting and planning services. Peter and his group use a formal investment process as their foundation, and clients receive frequent written uh, and verbal communication uh, to all inquiries, and as you know, in this uh, rather volatile financial environment, there are few, thing, few things more important than this type of uh, ongoing communication. Additionally, Hecht and his team can assist you in connecting to Johnny's investment banking department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their strategic goals. And during 2016, the Hecht Investment Group will be conducting a series of workshops on some rather interesting and important subjects such as uh, uh, social security, uh, cyber security, end-of-life decision-making. And, in fact, Peter will be on the show in a couple of weeks to talk about a major forum that they're running on the middle of June, and we'll have much more to talk about that when he gets here. You're invited to call the contact the Hecht Investment Group at 856-291-5028. Or their toll-free number, which is 855-289-2168. That's 855-289-2168. And ask for John Connors for more information. The Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And Janet Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and the SIPC. And as we move into our second segment, uh, and we're going to be welcoming Andrew Becker and we're going to Try, he's going to try to walk us through the maze of insurance, which um, <clears throat> I wish him good luck because it's a maze. And for a lot of us, it's, it's crazy. But it's a beautiful, it's almost Memorial Day. And so I figured to take us from our bridge from segment one to segment two, a little classic Ray Charles from the 1950s. Everybody, 
And when you're dead, you're done. So let the good time roll. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888 888- Seven five nine zero one two eight. Good afternoon. Good morning. I'm so I'm pushing the day ahead. Welcome to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host Richard Address, and again we're coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM eight sixty here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live. Under the Known Universe on WWDBAM.com, and we are very pleased to welcome Andrew Becker, financial services professional with the First Financial Group here in Delaware Valley. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome to Boomer Generation Radio. Thank you. It's nice to be here. We are going to try to unpack in this little time frame uh, the maze of medical insurance. And for those of us who've had to um, deal with this, especially with a parent, uh, with, between Medicare and Medicaid and all this other craziness, uh, it can be very, very frustrating. So um, let's get right to, first of all, thank you very much for coming in. And let's get right to, to walk me through Medi- Medicare. Medicare, 65 years old. Uh, I wanna, I, I, I'm eligible for it. 
Uh, this is a great momentous day in my life. And then I get A, B, C, D, E, F. It's crazy. Well, it is. It is a. There's, there's a lot of variety here. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, I think we've all heard that there are many different approaches to how and when somebody opts to take their Social Security. It's really no different here. It's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure book, if you remember those from growing up. There, there are... It's an adventure, all right. That, that's certainly true. There are parts A, B, C, and D, and then there are many other ones, but those are the main ones. What we call original Medicare is made up of parts A and B. Uh, part D goes with part A and B. But if you have C, you don't need A, B, or D. No, I've, so I've, just, I've just flunked. I've just <laughs> flunked Medicare. <laughs> so let's back up. So Part A is uh, that covers your hospitalization, that covers skilled nursing facilities, which is not to be confused with long-term care. Uh, it covers hospice, and in some cases, it can cover home health. So Part A is free. Part A, you are automatically enrolled in when you turn 65, as long as you are already enrolled in Social Security. <laughs> so let's start there. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, part B is your medical. That's your going to the doctor. That's your preventive services. That's early detection. That may be your screenings. Uh, one thing that you get in recent years, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, when you are on Part B is now an annual well visit, similar to when a child gets to go on their parents' health insurance and go get an annual well checkup with their pediatrician. Adults that are on Medicare Part B now get an annual well visit with no copay. But Part B we pay for. Um, you are, again, if you are... On Social Security, at the time you turn 65, you are automatically enrolled in Part A and B. They'll send you your card in the mail. So it's simple. Okay, but if you're, if, if you're like a lot of baby boomers who are working, yes, and they'll delay taking their Social Security till they're 68 or 69, when they turn 65, then they're not automatically enrolled in B. That is correct. They have to go back when, at a later date and enroll in B. Correct. Yes. yes. Now, can they do that online, or they, they can have do it to at Medicare.gov, and you can also do it at SocialSecurity.gov. And I'm going to give you an 800 number also to make things really simple. Um, it is 800-772-1213. That's the number for Social Security, and they can help you as well. So, so if I call 800-772-1213 and say I want to enroll in Medicare B because I'm already on Medicare A, and I'm getting my Social Security, that person will be able to do that for me. That's correct. Whoa. Okay, cool. But, but let's back up a step because... Uh-oh, uh-oh. I knew it was a catch. So if you are... So again, so for the working person who, who doesn't want to do their Medicare at age 65 because they're on a group health plan, there's a few things there. Um, one, it's advisable to take Part A at that point anyway, just because it's free. Um, two, if you are on a group health plan, the employer has to be an employer that has at least 20 employees. Otherwise, you still have to go on Part B. So that's something. And then three, what, what happens um, for the person who is not yet on Social Security, what they have to do is there's a, there's a window of eligibility that opens up three months before the person turns 65, and it goes until three months after the 65th birthday. And during that window, you have to sign up and enroll in either A and B, or at least A. Okay, so... About 27 times a week, I'll get a uh, a letter in the mail uh, urging me under under like catastrophe mm-hmm. to sign up for supplemental Medicare supplemental insurance. Mm-hmm. If I have Medicare and I have B, what do I need supplemental? What is supplemental? Well, just like a private health plan, there are co-pays, co-insurances. 
that go along with being on A and B and D for that matter. We, we will talk later, I assume, about the Medicare, the drug right. donut hole. Right. Um, so there are co-pays. There are, there are expenses that you're still going to be responsible for if you're on Medicare, uh, in addition to paying the premium for Part B and the premium for Part D if that's something you do. So these Medigap or Medicare supplement policies exist to take care of those expenses. So if you are somebody who's on Medicare and you don't want to bother with or you don't want to you know, handle the, the expense of that, you pay for this other policy, this Medigap or Medicare supplement policy, and there's a very wide variety of them. Uh, they vary by state. They all have to provide a certain minimum level of coverage, but then there's some variety in terms of how much they cost and how much they can provide to you. So that's something that each person should check out on their own. Um, I do think that you can connect through Medicare.gov to providers in your area of those policies, but you have to be a very conscientious consumer with those because there are many of them. Is it advisable to have that supplemental insurance? I, I would consider it, yes. Um, can you have, is it such a thing of having too much insurance in this day and age in this healthcare system? I, that's a great question. I, I don't know that you can have too much insurance mm-hmm. just because, you know, when I think about the cost, and we'll talk, if you, if you like, about what things are and are not covered by Medicare. We'll talk about uh, it now. You know, well, for example, uh, if, you're on, if you're on Part A and Part B of Medicare, you can get inpatient hospital stays, but only in certain circumstances. I believe you have to have two midnights in the hospital. You can have skilled nursing facility paid for up to 100 days, but the first, well, first of all, that's only after having a hospital stay of at least three midnights. And then the first 20 days are 100% covered by Medicare. But then the second, you know, day 21 through 100, you're paying 20% of the cost. Medicare is paying 80% of the cost. So that's an example of an expense that that Medigap policy would provide for you. So I know so many people who they'll, they'll have those three days in the hospital. They'll be transferred to a rehab facility. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Medicare will cover 80% of that. Yes. The hundred days is over, mm-hmm. but they still they're still not ready to go home. Right. What happens to that individual? Are they just they have to write a check, or is there some what what covers them then? That that is when we hope that that person has a long term care policy, uh-huh. uh, and or Medicaid may come into play if there's somebody who is eligible for that um, in certain ways. But yes, I mean I, I asked uh, somebody that exact question not long ago. And that was it. So, so let's, let's back up a step. So the three nights in the hospital does entitle the person, if it's medically necessary, to go to a rehab facility or what they call subacute, subacute care. Uh, right. This takes place within the, the walls of a nursing home most often. So those first 20 days are 100% paid for. And then exactly right, day 21 through 100, the individual is responsible for 20% of. And so, right, at, on day 101, um, they are responsible for 100% of the cost thereafter. Wow. So, and and there's that the supplemental or the 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 other stuff doesn't cover that. Um, you know, that's that's actually not. I'm not sure about that. I, I believe there may be ones that would cover that, but I don't know. I mean, then you really are getting into like a long-term care policy situation, which is right. Different. Yeah, and and the long-term care. I mean, we've talked some to some people about long-term care. A lot of people don't have it. Right. And from what I'm understanding, that a lot of the long-term care suppliers have pulled back, and the rates have gone up. Um, but you mentioned the Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So Medicaid is 100% government f- uh, coverage, correct, for a situation? Yes, because it's for people who have limited income, limited assets. Okay, so let's talk about the, the – this is an editorial comment <laughs> – the, the um, immoral – the immorality of having to impoverish a human being in order for them to be covered 
uh, under Medicaid. That, that, talk to me about what the because there's a lot of confusion when I talk to people about the look back period, five years, three years. What you have to liquidate of assets for somebody. Suppose somebody's married. Do all the assets have to be liquidated? It can be very, very confusing. Okay, so where compared to the Medicare piece, the, right. it's uh, it's no, it's about as confusing. It's just as much of a choose your own adventure, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk adventure. about it. it. It is a it is a bad adventure. I do, I do not envy people in that situation. Um, so where to start in terms of. In terms of the look-back period, let's start there. Until 10 years ago, it was a three-year look-back period. As of January 1st, 2006, with the Deficit Reduction Act that was passed at the time, it became a five-year look-back period. So that's so it is no longer three years. It is now five years. Okay, so me, let me interrupt right now. Yes. Define look-back period. What does that mean? So there is, a, there is a period of time when a lot of people do try to dispose of their assets in some way. Um, giving them to charity. There, there are things people do. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to veer into, uh, you know, I don't want to give anybody any advice on how to, how to dispose of their assets. Right, I understand that. How, but I would say people have done this and do do this in order to qualify for Medicaid. Maybe they're close. They know that one or both of the um, spouses is going to need long-term care. They can't afford it or they don't have the private pay uh, coverage. So they try to qualify for Medicaid. They try to get rid of their assets. And so if you do that, and you need Medicaid within five years, it's not that you can't get the care, but what they'll do during that look-back period is they'll divide the cost of care that you would be paying for by the amount of assets that you got rid of, and then that's how long you'll have to wait until they can begin to pay for your coverage. And what about a married couple? Is it for both or just the person needing care that that that's that this liquidation of assets takes place? Because a lot of the assets would be joint. Right. They? they will look at the assets of both, both partners, um, the non the, the person if if it's a case where one person is going to be applying for Medicaid and going into long long term care, the other person is called the community spouse. So I'll use that term just so we can uh, have some clarity here. So the community spouse is entitled to keep up to one hundred nineteen thousand two hundred dollars of the joint assets. But you know if it's a case where maybe it's a second marriage or something like that, uh, they do look at the assets of both the husband and the wife or both partners in the marriage. Wow. Okay. So we'll, I want to get back to this in a second, but we, we, we want to take a, a, a brief break, take everybody a deep breath because this is extremely confusing. <laughs> and, and to be very honest with you, you know, and, and having lived it with my mom um, and many people who are living it right now, it's, it's, it's a little frightening. It's, it's a little frightening. Um, and we'll be back with Andrew Becker, financial services professional with the first financial group here in Delaware Valley. Right at this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our second segment here on Boomer Generation Radio here on WWDB AM 860 here in the Delaware Valley and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Andrew Becker, financial services professional with the first financial group here in Delaware Valley, and he's trying to walk us through this maze of insurance uh, between uh, what Medicare covers and how they cover it 
and the Medicaid issue of looking back and joint spouses, spousal um, issues. One of the, I guess the obvious question is since the Affordable Care Act, what impact has the Affordable Care Act had on all this um, craziness? Uh, there's good news, uh, I suppose. Thank God. The, the good news is to the extent that the Affordable Care Act has had an effect on Medicare, it's that it's made it a little better. Um, so the first thing I'll say is that if you, if you are planning to go on to Medicare or you are on Medicare, the Affordable Care Act, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to go in the marketplace. You don't have to go to an exchange. You're not affected in that way. If you have a Medicare Advantage plan, which is Part C, which we'll speak about, or if you're on A and B, that's your Medicare. That's your health insurance. You don't have to do anything. Uh, that's your, that, it's the same security, the same benefits that you've always had. Um, the good news is that what the Affordable Care Act has done is that it has caused Medicare to provide more services for less money, and particularly in the area of preventive services. So there are things like certain cancer screenings, diabetes screening, uh, heart disease, cardiovascular screenings that are, if you're on Part B, there's no copay, there's no coinsurance. You just get that for no out-of-pocket expense uh, above and beyond your premium that you pay. Uh, and then I mentioned earlier the well visit that you get every year with your um, with your Part B. So, and then the other piece that I'll mention is we've talked about the donut hole. We've touched on it. Mm-hmm. If you were in the donut hole, it used to be that you, once you were in that coverage gap, you got no assistance until you had made it to the other end, so right, to speak. Right. Now, if you're in that, because of the Affordable Care Act, there are discounts and credits and things that you can do along the way. Rather than paying, for example, 100% of the cost of a drug out of your pocket, you might pay 45%, but you might get credit for paying 90% of the drug. Okay, so we only have about 10 minutes left. Right. So let's let's deal with... These two two issues that come up. First of all, what in God's name is this donut hole? <laughs> Give me a definition that that you know a dummy like me can understand. All right. Uh, when you are in an insurance plan, Medicare or any insurance plan, what you're really doing is sharing costs with the insurer for your care. So with Part D of Medicare, which is the prescription drug coverage, um, once you and Medicare Part D have reached a point, a certain point where together you have paid out thirty three hundred and ten dollars. That's this year's limit, then you have, then you enter this gap of coverage. And this year, I'm not sure, I believe it's 16 or $1,800 or something like that. But once you, once you then provide that cost from your own pocket and get to the other side, then the coverage picks back up again. It's essentially a gap in coverage. So what's the, what's the figure that now I have to pay? Um, It's in the neighborhood of 1800. Uh, I would want to check that. But basically once you, once you and Medicare have paid out 3,300, then you're on the hook individually for like the next 1800. Okay. And then when you get to the other side of the donut hole, if you're picturing the donut, then the coverage picks back up. Now that's the bad news. Um, The other bad news is that the amounts change year to year, but there is good news and that is, and again, through the Affordable Care Act, by 2020, the donut hole will disappear entirely. Ah, it goes away. And then it's 100% coverage through Medicare D. Yes. Okay. So that's that's the drug, and especially now where we keep reading every single day, the, the, the drug costs are skyrocketing and it's really impacting so many of our families so so medicare d yes um but it's but medicare d is not mandatory for everybody right it's, that is correct it's a voluntary thing and i pay for that correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so i'm paying for b and i'm paying for d yes now c c well let's take one quick step back if you have 
if you, if you need D, it's because you have some combination of A and B. Okay. Uh, and B and D, those are the ones that you pay for, and you can have that deducted from your Social Security check. So you're paying for it, but you're not necessarily writing a check each month. Okay, but that, but that deduct, that reduces the amount of Social Security they get every month. That's correct. Which ha- does have an impact upon people's livelihood. Absolutely, yes. Okay, so... It's the good news. That I'm going to get you one way or the other. Uh, exactly. Well, and I'll, I'll add one more thing, too. With regard to B&D, if you enroll late, if you enroll outside of the enrollment period or if there's a period of time when you should have had the coverage and don't, you could be subject to a 10% uh, penalty for every year that you should have been on the plan, and that's a lifetime penalty. So the premiums are the base premium. For example, for B, for most people, it's $105 a month, more or less, but you might be adding 10% or 20% to that if that person didn't enroll in the right period of time. So they are going to get you one way or the other. Uh, This is even more depressing than I thought. (laughs) All right. uh, uh, (laughs) The happy news. And and C? So C, I've been calling it Medicare Advantage. It's more commonly called the Medicare HMO. And if you have C, it it takes the place of A, B, and D. So it simplifies things somewhat. It is cheaper, that's the good news, than, than the three of them. However, you also give up a certain measure of control because it's an HMO, so you're back to the days of needing referrals to go from one doctor to another or the doctor needing permission maybe to give you a certain test or a certain procedure. So you're definitely giving up a certain amount of control for that cost savings, uh, but it's there and it's available for people who need the coverage. So I have A and B, mm-hmm. okay, and I should get D. Yes, but C is optional. It's, it's optional, and I'll, I'll throw another wrinkle at you. Oh, why not? If you have the Medicare, if you have the Medicare supplement or the Medigap, that only works with the A, B, and D piece. If you have C, which is the Medicare HMO, then you don't need and are not allowed to have the, the Medigap. Supplemental, the exactly. supplemental insurance. Okay. Exactly. Now, if you're not confused enough, you can switch from the A, B, D to the Medicare HMO if you'd like to. Um, you can do it during fall open enrollment, which is October 15th through December 7th every year, and then the coverage would pick up on January 1st. But if you're in A, B, and D and you're unhappy, you can switch to C and vice versa. So let me just uh, – this. so if I have A and I don't have B, mm-hmm. but I need now to go get B, mm-hmm. um, I can do that during one of these open enrollment periods? Yes. Okay, and those enrollment periods are when? Well, the the initial open enrollment for new enrollees is January through March 31st of the year that you turn 65. Then there's a fall open enrollment every year, and that's October 15th through December 7th every year. If you sign up at the beginning of the year, your coverage begins July 1st. And if you sign up in the fall enrollment or switch during the fall enrollment, then your coverage begins January 1st. Okay. Now, here... This is somewhat confusing, okay? And I was somewhat probably in in quotes. How does the person who has no knowledge of any of this, who just turned 65, knows that they have to apply for this stuff, or God forbid encounters some sort of medical emergency and all of a sudden has to make decisions about this, but who has no knowledge of this, where does this person go? How do they get guidance? Where, where it's, it's, it's like being lost in the wilderness. It, it is somewhat, and it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, again, I would say, you know, socialsecurity.gov, medicare.gov, but those only take you so far because now you have to interpret the maze. Uh, there are a number of great social workers and uh, elder attorneys 
estate planning attorneys. Um, and I would even say sometimes, you know, if you're thinking about healthcare, you may talk to your healthcare provider. And that's actually a point I wanted to raise too. There are, just because you have Medicare doesn't mean, or Medicaid for that matter, doesn't mean you're going to be 100% covered for every single thing you need. I mean, there may be things your doctor recommends for you that aren't covered or that are only partially covered. And so you have to talk to the, your doctor. You have to ask questions. Why do I need this? Is there some other drug? Is there some other test that will maybe do the job? Things like that. You have to you have to talk. You have to ask a lot of questions. Social support network. Maybe you have friends that have been through it a couple of years before you or with their parents. Um, but I agree there there are not enough good resources and you know trustworthy objective resources to, to parse this for people. We have about two minutes left in this segment. Let me ask you a question because I get, I get this all the time when I go traveling and we this comes up mm-hmm. in all the workshops that I do, especially around caregiving. Someone is doesn't need to be hospitalized, mm-hmm. but they've come home. They need care. They need uh, a home health worker, mm-hmm. five hours a day, three hours a day, or 24 hours a day. Is that covered by Medicare? In some circumstances, yes, and it's too complicated to get into all the way down, but yes, there are some cases where home health care is covered by Medicare, or at least a portion of it would be, and the same for Medicaid, but Medicaid, again, does cover your long-term care expenses. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to say now, too, um, you, know, you mentioned before about long-term care insurance. When the industry changed, Life insurance companies started to catch up with the change and, and the reason that they fell apart. And so they now offer a lot of what they call hybrid policies, where you can buy a permanent life insurance policy and you can access a portion up to maybe 80, 90 percent of your death benefit to pay for things like home health care, long term care and things like that. So that's that's sort of the wave of the future in life and long term care insurance. Wow. Wow. Um Mr. Becker, thank you. For, this is it's. Uh, 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 thank you very much. This is overwhelming. It really is overwhelming. I think one of the things we're going to take out of this is that if people have questions about this, they need to start again planning, talking to people, organizations. I would imagine the best thing they could do when they have a significant number of people who are in their Gen Xers and Boomers to really have programs inviting people like yourself to sort of like. In a, in a more detailed way, walk them through all the options. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to meet with groups like that on that basis. Andrew Becker, financial services professional for the First Financial Group. Thank you very, very much, and I appreciate your time. Somebody wants to get a hold of you. How do they do that? Real fast. Uh, the best way to get me is my, my, my phone number, 610-766-3022. And thank you very much, Andrew Becker. For all of you, uh, um, I appreciate you being with us. Uh, Next week, a very, very special guest on the May 31st edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We've invited and he's accepted Dr. Dan Gottlieb, who's known to many of you in the area. He's going to be sitting with us for the whole hour here on Boomer Generation Radio. Thank you. Take care. Have a great week. Stay safe, everybody.